0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy Homecoming Week. Happy uh, Dramatically Reset Expectations Week, maybe, <laughs> for some of you. Um, happy Maryland Week. Not Maryland. Oh, God. Clemson Week.
0: <laughs> it's uh, never been Happy Maryland Week.
1: Happy Maryland Week is not... We're not having a Happy Maryland Week uh, for a long time. Um... Yeah, lots of things. This is the 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 one we've all had circled in our calendar for a long time. Probably a, a little bit uh, less exciting now than it was uh, a week ago this time. But that's, you know, how Tal football goes.
0: Yeah, agreed. Um, this was this was an odd weekend. Definitely put a damper on the rest of my college football watching for the day. Uh, hadn't felt like that. I mean, even like the Notre Dame game last year, it was fine because we were just like kind of playing with house money already. Uh, this year, obviously, like getting blown out like that in week two is not what you sign up for ever. But especially this year when you're ranked, uh, I think there was there there were a lot of things that we could point to as the reasons. So, I, for those that listened to the uh, ATC podcast episode uh, from earlier this week, uh, where I talked to Lauren Brownlow a little bit about it, we'll try not to rehash those things. Obviously, we didn't get into like the nuts and bolts of it. So here is where we can more do a little bit of that. Uh, Dan, I think for me that the, the big the big reasons why things failed, um, the fact that our linebackers were kind of as inexperienced and not ready to kind of stop the run or or not fall for play action fakes as we thought, uh, the fact that our offensive line uh, was a lot less up for the challenge of a P five defensive front than we thought, despite the fact that Maryland didn't seem like much of a uh, a big deal there going in. Um, and the fact that this offense isn't up to speed, and some of that is offensive line-related, some of it's DeVito-related, but we're not playing at a speed that we we, we absolutely need to um, in order to succeed uh, with the Babers' offense. And I think those three things, at least from the start, uh, for me, seem like the biggest issues, but I'm sure that you could probably list out some more if needed. Uh,
1: yeah, I think you you really uh, hit the nail on the head with most of that. The like Basically, most of the issues we saw with Liberty um, – just got uh, compounded by playing a team which we said last week had like pretty legit talent. Like they've had plenty of issues. Um, They've had, you know, a very up and down coaching over the last however many years, basically since Ralph Fridgen was there. Um, But they've, they've had talent. They've been compiling it pretty well throughout a number of coaches, um, especially Durkin. And now lots doing a very nice job there. Um, It looked like we were woefully prepared to just defend a, a uh, team that ran heavy RPO and play action and a lot of the stuff that, you we, you know, we knew Maryland was going to run. Um, if you watched uh, what Mike Lotzley did at Alabama with Tua Tondervaloa, like, it's a very, it's, I'm not going to say it's a similar offense. It doesn't have that kind of explosion, but, like, you you know the schemes, and we, we weren't, we shouldn't have been surprised by the things they threw at us. Um, you could say that about, like, Liberty, and I know that was more on the defensive side, but, um, you know, it, it, nothing shocked me in terms of what we saw coming from Maryland Right um, but the offensive line i think is is continuing to be a huge issue uh defensively um I think you just kind of have to hope this was like a one game like georgia tech twenty thirteen thing um even though that you know the diff- the the situation there is a lot different considering like the steam they ran then um versus like uh, an all year thing which is crazy to think because last week we were all very excited about a shutout out at and an albeit overmatched liberty team, but still like shutting out any you know, reasonable FBS program is, is pretty impressive. Um, so hopefully we were just for whatever reason ill-prepared to de- defend this kind of attack, but it's not going to get much easier. There's plenty of that kind of attack coming before us. Um, obviously the opponent we have this week is much, much better than Maryland. Um, but I think it was also difficult because they're like a regional, not rival, but like a team we recruit against a lot. It's a team, you know, you, you want to think we stack up against, um, and one that came into the season with so many questions, and maybe Maryland's really, really good. Like, I think there's a possibility of that, but I would be, I'd still be kind of surprised if it, by year's end they're like some ranked juggernaut in the Big Ten East. It just seems like very unlikely in a uh, coach's first year. Um, maybe it's the case, but uh, I, I don't know that any of us are saying like they've kind of chalked it up to like, oh yeah, Maryland's actually a top 15 team, just no one knew it. So, um yeah i think that's probably the most disappointing part it's not like if we'd done wax by clemson this week 63 to 20 after doing 2-0 and um i don't know that anyone would have been like super surprised or upset but the fact that it was an unranked maryland team that on paper should have like all the issues that all these first year you know first year coach teams have and instead they look like the way more um settled into their system and everything else while we're the four-year team coming off a ranked season um so that was definitely jarring and i understand why people are upset but These things aren't, like, linear. Um, It took us, you know, two real uh, tough years after the 10-win season, and it's not like, you know, we won 10-game once, so we're just going to do that every year. Like, you're going to take your lumps in college football. That's how it works.
0: Yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, I think that this should really underline just how little talent um, Dino Babers had to work with when he walked in. Obviously, it's frustrating for us as fans to, you know, have have what ended up being, you know, a a two-plus-year, um, transition to the system to really start like clicking. And now we're kind of seeing some growing pains. Like I, I could absolutely see why fans would be aggravated seeing Maryland kind of, you know, walk right into uh, something that worked um, like w- w- with a not similar, I mean, not completely similar um, attack, but you know, an tempo attack, something that, that's definitely going to spread the ball out a bit. Uh, obviously the the caveats there being, you know, Josh Jackson is a former blue chip recruit. Um, he's a veteran at that. Uh, obviously, they've been recruiting at a top 30 to 35 level at minimum um, over the last three to four years, but haven't been able to put the wins and losses together. Um, maybe Loxley's that guy. I don't think he is for the, the full season this year anyway. He could be long-term as someone who can get, you know, you know maybe coax eight wins out of Maryland on an annual basis. Uh, I don't I think this is the year just based on the, the talent around them and just it's it's a tough division in general. but. Who knows? Um, I, I, I could, again, I could see why fans would be a little aggravated. I think for me, the, the, the as much as I can see this as a one game blip um, in terms of like returns, uh, you could tell me if I'm wrong here. I was a little concerned and I think I, I, I was a little confused by this last week too. When, when Dino Babers kind of mentioned that like, you know, they were getting things that they hadn't seen thrown at them. And I just don't know if I would use that line of thinking if I were a coach. And I guess I just find it hard to believe that, you know, for two straight weeks now that we're getting things thrown at us that we haven't seen before. And realistically, like if, if, if the coaching staffs at Maryland and, uh, and Liberty can do that to us, uh, I shudder to think what, what, what Clemson can, and what a lot of the other, um, you know, coaching staffs in the ACC can, it just seems odd after I felt like really every game since the, um, since the middle Tennessee loss, um a couple of years back, I felt like we were the the better prepared and better coached team and, and these last two games I feel like um oddly we're either not or we're we're almost at parity um at the very worst. And and that just seems to me like eh, I'm not gonna say a sign of things of bad things to come, but it just it seems like an odd line of thinking that's now two weeks in and is probably going to be three weeks in after this coming game against Clemson. It's
1: definitely, it's definitely distressing. Definitely um I think there's like I understand the logic of, like, Hugh Freeze was brand new at Liberty. He hadn't coached in a couple years. Total rebuild, so we don't really know what kind of defense they are going to throw at us. We're going in blind. Fine. Maryland probably didn't have to show very much to beat Howard by the amount of beat him by. Lotsley hasn't been a head coach in a long time. Um, I mean, there was some tape, but the Howard tape is probably not that valuable, all things considered. A, like, it's, it's just not... I don't think using a uh, similar or same excuse two weeks in a row plays well, even if there's truth behind it, which I imagine there is. Um, but also, like, I, I don't think saying that, like, we didn't have the team adequately prepared two weeks in a row is, like, something that most uh, programs would admit to. Um, I guess I appreciate Dino's tander as always. But it is surprising, because like you said, aside from, like, a handful of teams, Middle Tennessee probably being the only, like, true one our losses have light, largely been on the talent and not the preparation. And we've had plenty of wins because of preparation. So it's just a strange thing to hear that like this team, um, for whatever reason was ill prepared to face these other programs that are not like head over heels. I know Maryland has a talent edge, but Maryland's like probably about what we face in a lot of these ACC games versus, you know, going and out doing it, it's Clemson. Like we, we know exactly what they're gonna around. We know exactly what they look like. We have plenty of tape on them. Now, maybe we'll turn around and look a lot better um, this week, and that'd be welcomed, even if we lose. Like, I think most people will say, like, if we play Clemson tough, it'll seem like we're back on track. But, like, I'm not super encouraged uh, heading into that game because I I, I think ultimately, like, it's just, it's, just, it's just a weird thing to hear two weeks in a row. I get one off, and I get, like, trying to be honest, but um, I don't know that it's, like, a, a valid thing to bring up um, especially in a DM, and it's like a P5 opponent who you should be aware of at least some of the things that they're doing. Um, I, again, I wasn't very surprised by what the Maryland offense looked like. It's it's what Lotsley runs now. So yeah, it wasn't great. Um, I'm hoping that like, honestly, maybe the familiarity of Clemson, even with how good they are, will help. But I certainly uh, wouldn't bank on us like all of a sudden, you know, having another one of these really great performances against them, because this week was really uh, disheartening and Clemson's really, really good.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not to underplay like the Aggies by any means, but like Clemson dispatched Texas A&M with relative ease. And I do kind of think they held back a little bit um, just because they, that Texas A&M just didn't really have the horses to test them. And like the fact that A&M's offense, I think should be pretty good. And yet I didn't really see much from them against a Clemson defense that's quote, you know, quote unquote supposed to be like rebuilding.
1: Uh, AM I, had three points that weren't in garbage time, like right, like Clemson, that, that, that's
0: very very horrifying for us as a team struggling on offense with with very few like blue chip ish guys.
1: Yeah, AM had a very like a definition backdoor cover um, to turn it to fourteen points. Um, the Clemson offense, I don't think, was running anything exotic. They probably had it ready because. I expected A and M to to give a much tougher game, you know, as they did last year. But Clemson really looked like like the like classic kid putting you know the much smaller kid at length with his arm and like watching him swing wildly because like that game was never really in doubt at all once Clemson put like their second touchdown on the board. So um, unfortunately, I don't think we've uh, a like we they've had the same coordinators for a while now. We know Brett Venable's. We know Jeff Scott. Um, I think we're we're aware of what Clemson's gonna do. I don't think we can possibly have the excuse of like they threw a bunch of new stuff at us just because they shouldn't have to at this point. I don't think if they broke, if they didn't bring it out for AM, I don't think they're gonna break it out for Syracuse. But um, yeah, like I, I expected Clemson to take more of a step back defensively than it appears they have. Um if anything, their offense has probably not been quite as efficient because I don't think Lawrence has really dialed it up yet. His numbers are are pretty pedestrian. I know he had a Pretty bad team for him against Georgia Tech. a and I just don't think they asked to do it much. Now, Travis Etienne is so good, it doesn't really matter. Um, but, like, uh, I think we're going to, like, I think they have another level to get to on offense uh, that they haven't showed yet in 2019, and that's pretty scary.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, who knows if they can hit it in week three? Um, I think it's quite possible that they do. I think based on what they saw last week, I would think that they do because as much as I think Dino might have still held back a bit on on the offensive side, and maybe he did. I, I think we can talk about that next. Like defensively, there's not really an option to like quote unquote hold things back um, mm-hmm. as much uh, against a P five opponent. And, and I do think in this case, like SU's pass rush struggled again. SU was pretty much you know buried alive by play action. Um, as a linebacker group that we said was going to be a concern coming into this season has shown itself to be um, even after like a mildly better uh, than expected first game. The second game was you know uh, disastrous um, is the only way to really put it. Uh, Andre Sisco obviously got himself another pick. that's two on the year already uh, in, in the, the game against the terps. However, uh, everybody else on, in the secondary kind of looked like they were regressing hard towards you know some of the stuff that we we really haven't seen much since the notre dame game which understandable or you know the western michigan game last year where uh everybody looked like they were kind of caught with their pants down um in that second half after a strong first half so again this is one game that said like there's some things that you can grab out of the first game too and start to put two and two together that uh this could be, I'm not going to say a rough year, but this might not be the year that, you know, folks imagine. I know you and I both kind of endorse the nine and three thing just to be optimists, but we also said there's a real, there's a reality where we go seven and five and that's still fine. I think that's still very much on the table here. Um, at, because, you know, McKinley Williams was out and may very well be against Clemson. There's the fact that, you know, DeVito doesn't seem hundred percent comfortable. I mean, like I kind of alluded to earlier, Dan, realistically, how, how much of the playbook do you think Dino opened against Maryland? Do you think that he, he brought out more because it was a game against a P5 opponent that we, like, fell behind early? Or do you think that he might have he kind of just eased off the gas a little bit right away once things started getting out of hand because he knew that, you know, he had something ready to go against Clemson. And I... I'm 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 casting some shade on that idea, but I I want to know if I guess if I'm the only one.
1: Um I don't know, it's hard to know without like being in the room. Um I could see like it got, it got out of hand pretty quick, like it kind of piled up on us uh a bit there in the third quarter. Um even before that. Uh so maybe he withheld a bit and just tried to like keep it basic and see if we could get back into it that way. Um but it's 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 really hard to know just because we haven't seen like what a fully functional Tommy DeVito offense is yet. Um, It looked probably better at times last year, honestly, running uh, kind of bits and pieces from what we were doing with Dunji coming in mid-game. But uh, I I don't want to, like, put a number on it. I wouldn't expect he, like, used all the tools in his shed because I don't think we had any real indication based on watching that game. It didn't seem like we were doing anything super super exotic. exotic. In Um, the wide
0: receiver pass, but even then, like, A, mildly telegraphed. That's deep. also not like
1: a full game plan. That's not like a trick play. Like,
0: yeah, uh, and, that, and that's something that we've pulled out every year under Babers. Right, right. Like the exact same play, like with, with basically – and you see right in the beginning of the year, like who that guy's going to be. And this year it's Taj Harris. And last year it was somebody else. And like every year it's just somebody different. It's whoever – it's really whoever had like the most, um, like, you know, either quarterback experience in high school or adjacent to quarterback experience in high school.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing I will say, and I know DeVito has caught a lot of heat, um, he made a lot of, like, he made some plenty of mistakes since Maryland, as did anyone. I did think he took a, a step forward, as Dino said. I, I thought, I thought especially, like, even when it got kind of out of hand, and maybe that eased him a little bit for one reason or another, uh, I do think he looked better in Game 2 than he did in Game 1. Like, he made some big-time throws. Um, he delivered the ball pretty well. He sped it around pretty well. Tristan Jackson, uh, whatever was plaguing those two in Game 1, clearly wasn't there in team two. He was like the one still position guy who really, who really broke out. Um, so I think it's still a process, but I will say like, if there's a positive takeaway from this team, um, it's that Devito settled in a little bit. Um, now, unfortunately I think most of that settling came when the team was more or less out of hand, but it still had to happen at some point. Um, and I also like, obviously last year we had limited sample size with him, but he played much, much better at home than he did on the road. Um, Florida State and UNC versus like the Notre Dame debacle and the really bad moment of Western Michigan um hopefully you know obviously he needs to figure out playing on the road long term but hopefully getting comfortable and settled in at the dome and actually having his first week one home game or first week uh of being in Syracuse uh even with a, an opponent like Clemson will help um because it does seem like that split's pretty pretty def- uh, well defined even if you know statistically this game wasn't terrible for him um So hopefully DeVito keeps on progressing and um, the offensive line can start to figure some stuff out because that's a major issue um, and we can kind of move forward. But uh, I do wish we didn't have Clemson now, like coming into the year, I kind of liked where we got them after the loss, after losing the way we did it in Maryland though, I I really wish we had like the Western Michigan team now to kind of reset and and figure out out our issues or the Holy Cross team, because it's really tough to go from a 43 point loss to, you know, uh, what could very well be another one. Um, it's just the schedule didn't wind up working out as well as, uh, it looked on paper.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think a big factor and something I talked about on the blog today was kind of, you know, starting with two road games is, or just two games away from home in general is not ideal. Uh, it's something that, you know, can easily trip up teams. It's especially a young team and a team with a young quarterback. I think, you know, Syracuse and Miami were the only P5 team to do it this year, Uh, Syracuse, UNC, and Florida State will be the only P5 teams to do it next year. Syracuse is still of that group, the only one to uh, start with two true road games. And next year, they're going to have a true road game at Clemson, almost certainly, unless something changes with the non-conference schedule because other than that, um, they have four games scheduled already. None of them are week one. Uh, Clemson on the road is really the only option for week one. And so that'll be probably a Thursday nighter, uh, assuming that Clemson wins a national title again or comes close to it. Probably be a Thursday nighter. it probably be at Clemson, and it's probably going to be a loss. And I mean, you know, I understand that the, the the what the dome renovations do to this, but at the same time, I think that you're letting the dome renovations basically dictate um, a fickle fan base um, into the behavior they've always had, which is you know, tell me when I should give a shit. And that's always been how they've acted. They're acting like that already. Um, it's unfortunate. It's a bummer. Uh, that said, like, you know, you kind of have to play the games in the order that, that they're given to you. And, 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 you know, this year they ended up being, you know, two road games and then Clemson. And then next year they're going to end up being Clemson and then some winnable matchups. But, you know, I, I'm – I'm I'm a little. I, we don't have to hammer the fans, but I'm a little disheartened by what I've seen already. A little disheartened in general too by like what I've seen toward Devito specifically. Not that I'm, I'm I'm a huge Devito homer, and I think that that he did no wrong in games one and two. I think in game one he looked rough. In game two he looked rough to start, and then kind of settled in. I mean, if a bad game for him is seventy one percent completions with three hundred and thirty yards and three touchdowns, I'll take it. Uh, I think there's decisions he could have made better. I think there's decisions he will make better. I think that the second and third quarters in this game in particular, he looked uh, pretty good, all things considered. I mean, I think the one, again, the one glaring issue isn't DeVito necessarily. Um, and really people that put his problems over the defenses weren't paying attention to the game at all. Uh, I think the big issue is tempo. And I don't really understand what, I don't understand what's lagging at this point when, it, with regard to tempo, like, is it DeVito? Is it the offensive line? Cause like, the thing is, like, the team was ready on the line quickly. So is it DeVito's reads pre-snap? Like, there's – and really, is it, is it pre-snap reads for DeVito? Is it pre-snap reads for the running backs? Um, because if you'll recall, like, uh, the running back was a really big part of kind of that, that, that pre-snap look um, early on and calling out blocks and things like that. So, you know, is it DeVito or is it, or is it you know, Neil not necessarily being as prepared? Um, or is it the fact that Abdul Adams might not be ready to go in that regard? Like, I, I, I don't have an answer there, but I, it is concerning, disconcerting that, um, that Syracuse's offense um, both isn't putting up points um, and isn't running at any sort of tempo that, that, that we've noticed at any point in the last three years. Like, this is very much a step even below um, the tempo that we saw, uh, you know, from, from Dungeon year one in the system. And I guess the question now is, again, is, is, is Dino holding things back or is he being held back by the personnel on the field?
1: It's it's a good question, and it, that part of it's very disconcerting because everyone in the offense, more or less now, aside from like Ryan Alexander, um, has been in the system for at least a couple of years. Um, Devito obviously came up with with uh, Dino um has been in the system for four years now. Um, pretty much everyone else, at least, has a good amount of experience. And like we said, like last year, we were running at a pretty great pace, and this uh, this game we put up. Uh, 70 plays, I think I counted, um, it was like 78 against Liberty, which isn't like a terrible number, but I know we want to be over, we want to be pretty well over 80, at least most games. Um, and, and like you said, like, that's, that's the key to like kind of wearing out the defense and, and getting teams out of uh, their comfort zone. Um like obviously, you want to score points efficiently, but we've been inefficient like the last couple of years, even last year, winning ten games and the the pace of the offense still had an impact because we were able to hit big plays and we would you know uh find those first downs and and keep keep defenses on the field, and we're just not doing that so far this year um and that's such a staple of the Dino offense. I can't imagine it's like a thing that we're looking to do like I don't know why on earth we would um dial it back like there's no real advantage to that based on what he's doing so. Uh, that's a real concern, and and again, one of those things that, unfortunately, I don't know um, that we were able to answer without you know hearing from him uh, specifically. Um, to go back to the scheduling thing really quick, I know you don't want to harp on it. Um, I will admit— well, I don't want to harp you,
0: on the scheduling thing? Are you sure? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's fair. Um, obviously, we've been proponents, at least I have been a pretty strong proponent of starting on the road because of the state fair and other things, um, and I still stand by that. I do think opening with two road games is tough. Um, but also, like, this all goes back to how stupid it is that college football schedules the way it does. Um, there's no reason for it. It They just, like, someone needs to step in and say, why are we doing this? Let's schedule everything the offseason before. Let's figure out what makes most sense for a team the year it's getting ready to play. College basketball, that's what they do. And, like, they have a whole system of figuring out what teams want to play, what teams who makes sense for whom um, with, the, with the RPI to get into the tournament. Um and within the context of what that team's supposed to look like, college football, I'm you're settling stuff 10 years out, out. You have no idea what these teams are going to look like. Also, um, like, if
0: you're, you're going to lean on the fan argument there, like, most hotels and pretty much no flights let you book more than, like,
1: eight months out. Right. So the only reason this is being done – I don't even know why it's being done because, like, even if you have, like, a wink-wink, like, hey, if we're good in 28 – like, let's, let's save some dates – I just don't get who the advantage, who's being advantaged by knowing what the matchups in 2032 are, except that everyone started doing it. So everyone else had to start doing it. Like, it just seems like a thing that kind of like snowballed not to borrow from uh, our great coaches of years past, but um, I just don't understand the benefit. Like I get other companies might like the companies that sponsor these games might like to sell them. um, Like the Chick-fil-A kickoff and stuff. But like, is it really that much of an advantage for them to know, have known that it was going to be Duke, Alabama? like, a year or two out, and even those games are the ones that are scheduled the latest. Like,
0: right. yeah, we're not even talking about those. We're talking about SU needing, quote unquote, needing to to lock in Ohio for 2022.
1: It just it's it's so asinine, and it'd be much easier. And obviously, this year it was a different situation because of the dome renovations. And like you almost say, it starts that we had to open with two games on the road. It's a one time we'll do it, but it's it's just it's so acid. Like we're gonna catch a year. Like I mean, we've done this in the past. We've had years where we probably could have gone to bowls. And we didn't because we had this obnoxious schedule that we scheduled assuming that things were going to turn around you know, a full coach before they did. So um, it's just, uh, it's it's so maddening and getting stuck in situations because, A, we're like one of the only schools that seems to be scheduling, not the way they should because we're behind the eight ball constantly, but in like a real, in in, in a, a world that made sense, we would be scheduling like how you're supposed to be. It's just that we're late on everything. Uh, so you can't do that either. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's very frustrating. Um, the, and obviously this year's team probably would have benefited from even after the Liberty game on the road, which shouldn't have been settled for a million other reasons. Um, if we were to come home and we were playing Western Michigan this week, or even if we were playing Maryland at home this week, I think it would have been a much different uh, experience than what we had. Um, so yeah, that's just like kind of a, a bigger than this one year rant, but uh, it'd be nice if common sense took hold uh, for like one second. and. And our schools realize that there's no real reason that like Purdue and uh, whomever have to schedule out for 2037 because none of the players on the team are going to like, they'll all be in their forties by the time that game rolls around. Like it's, it's insane.
0: Yeah. I'll never really understand it personally. Uh, And again, I, I, I have spilled thousands and thousands of words on this one already. So I won't rehash necessarily any more than we already have, but. Yeah, it, anything we can do to avoid this again? I know we can't for next year. Uh, let's just let's let's keep this in mind when at the end of the season, like things ne- don't necessarily go as we want. If that happens, and you know, maybe you can point to this as part of it. Maybe not the only reason, but it's certainly part. Um, I think you've inspired me a little bit on some other fronts, uh, especially the offense, uh, to maybe look into things a little bit more. And, and perhaps we have an article in the offing. Uh, but in any case, uh, let's take a little bit of a break from for our sponsor and talk some beer. So, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking?
1: Um, it's been a very light uh, week. Well, not even we really, like five days since we last recorded. We're recording on Monday night uh, here, even though this will be up later. Um, I did have some single-cut uh, IPAs, uh, the, I think I believe the Softies Smoke and Magic Spells, um, right before we recorded. So, uh, that's like my one contribution but it was a pretty light week otherwise nothing super exciting to report
0: fair enough on my end I had uh, I mentioned Modern Times Booming Rollers before one of their IPAs uh, they released a, a double dry hopped uh, version in cans that was super super good um, also had uh, Stone Brewing's uh, 23rd anniversary uh, double IPA that was uh, pretty good not as good as the first one but good enough um, I. Blind Pig. I had some at uh, Naja's place down in South Adonda Beach from Russian River. Also had from Russian River. They are pale ale. Um, It takes a lot of great beer to make great wine. And finally, uh, after years of wanting this one, they're a Happy Hops IPA, which I think has actually at this point, like I would, might sound like blasphemy to some people, but I would take this one actually over Blind Pig, maybe even Pliny too at this point. Seems like heresy, but. Uh, absolutely delicious, really fresh, crisp uh, West Coast IPA. Uh, Russian River's up there, production of late and bottling abilities. So uh, we're getting a hell of a lot of their stuff um, in stores. It doesn't last very long, but it is there. Um, so I try to pick it up whenever possible. Also had a, a bottle I had sitting around from last year of uh, Bottle Logics, uh, Dark Star November, uh, Barrel and Imperial Stout. And also had from um, Beechwood. They're uh, defenders of the hops um i p a that was pretty good, so good variation of things um a lot of those were on Saturday after the game uh, the good and <laughs> oh, bad... really? yeah it's the, the, the the good and bad of everything was uh it was wrapped by about twelve ish my time. I had some plans to go drink anyway, so uh definitely made the most of it
1: uh this completely unrelated uh, I just saw that apparently. A, we should probably mention, because it's very on-brand for us, uh, if you didn't see the news earlier this week, uh, USC's athletic director, Lynn Swan, uh, the woefully uh, under-qualified athletic director at USC, uh, resigned or was fired. Uh, I don't know which uh, off the top of my head. Um, apparently, they're looking at Bubba Trunningham at, from UNC, the coach who made the most USC hire in the offseason by bringing back Matt Brown, which has obviously worked out splendidly well for two weeks. But... I think we're both probably still pretty bearish on it long term.
0: Uh, I'm very confused as to as to why this would be <laughs> the route they'd go.
1: Like he's, I assume Boba Trunningham doesn't have USC ties, but man, he made a UNC hire that looked like a USC hire, so they're just falling right back into their comfort zone.
0: He he was previously a ball state and Tulsa.
1: It's like it's it's a it's a real weird hire for USC. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Like some of the other names, uh what the B C A D whose name is escaping me is been floated. Um there was one other pretty prominent name I saw. Not John Wildhack, luckily. Um
0: worked in Notre Dame. He got his he, both of his degrees oh Christ, both of his degrees from Notre Dame, and like this is who you're going like why? It would be,
1: like uh, be like hiring a Georgetown person for a prominent role at Syracuse. It'd be crazy. Oh, wait.
0: Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, not going to go too far down that rabbit hole. I guess my big question here is, um, again, why? I, I mean, go for it, whatever. I don't give a shit. But it, it, it's more just I, if, you, if they end up going with Bubba Cunningham, he doesn't really have any history of hiring a good football coach.
1: I mean, unless you're really buying Matt Brown.
0: Yeah, but even then, like we're, we're, two, we're two games in. Yeah. Like realistically, like since when is is since when is the focus anything but football for USC?
1: I don't know. Um,
0: never, really, never. Um, which is confusing here. Like I would think that USC, given the money they had available to them. Uh, would want to go out, like if you're going to go outside the USC tree, I would think that you'd want to look at, you know, whether it's, if you want to look like outside of the West Coast, um, there are numerous (laughs) programs that have done really well on the football front. Um, If you want to change things up a little bit and look more towards basketball, there are a a lot of places, a lot of people that have probably uh, done more at less traditional. Like you don't necessarily need to be a quote unquote basketball AD. To do well in terms of basketball at UNC, so uh, color me confused here.
1: Yeah, I, I will say even with a, a again a surprising two and start for Clay Helton, um, and by surprising, I guess the Stanford one who was like legitimately good, and the and the the young quarterback looked good um, who stepped in uh, due to injury. Um, the rest of the game they should have lost. <laughs> um, I would say this looks really really bad uh, for Clay Helton. No matter unless he go unless he wins like ten games. I
0: mean, I, I think, I think with, without JT Daniels, I think if he wins eight, there's a shot. I think eight, and if he falls just short of a Pac-12 title, then maybe he can bank on, um, look hey, what he yeah, yeah, look what we did without JT Daniels. Um, at the same time, I think that USC would probably love an excuse to, ha- to fire uh, Clay Helton, and now without the guy ha- that hired him, um
1: in the door to make football like when you're an ad at usc you're being hired to make a football hire that's like what happens now obviously assuming swan didn't like abruptly step down like i'm assuming people knew this was going to happen in the Mm -hmm. higher up you know the higher ups there um i'm looking at who uh who some websites are saying not a ton of like super sexy names Uh, jamie pollard from iowa state who's actually done a really nice job wazoo's pat chun who has done uh uh, some interesting things i think he was at fau when they hired lane kiffin so that'd be fun um yeah uh the 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 biggest like through uh you know line through to uh, what people who are listening to this are interested in is obviously we are always concerned that dino is going to leave for a usc type job um and the athletic director that is hired to replace swan will probably have a you know, the name there will probably have a giant impact on like whether or not we think that's a legitimate possibility or not. As is what happens this season. Not that I think like if, if, if Syracuse so sits and sits, I don't think Dino's name um t- so suddenly like evaporates from other people's lists. I think uh in college coaching I think we have gotten a little bit uh better with context, um as of you know the last couple of years. But uh yeah, it's always gonna be it's gonna be a concern as long as Dino's here. So
0: Yeah, I, I would definitely agree there there's going to be a concern. I think a lot of people will still say, you know, like think about what it takes to win 10 games at Syracuse. Also, like there's just the fact that like Dino's going to start looking around the fan base and going, Oh, okay. Like, so, so if a 10 win season and then followed by like a six or seven win season doesn't get me um, all the benefit of the doubt, then, you know, what's really any different here than any other job where I can get paid more and, and have access to more resources and success. So, We'll, we'll see here. I'm not going to speculate anything at this point, but um, yeah, USC is still a job to watch really unless they, they, unless they really go on a tear. I think, you know, they have that stretch in here very soon where they face like Utah, Notre Dame and Washington in consecutive games. So that's going
1: to make or break Helton. He might not need to win like multiple, but he, I think he probably needs to win one of those games.
0: Yeah, like, if they want to win the Pac-12 South, I think you need to win at least one of the Pac-12 games in that three-game stretch. Yeah. So,
1: Like, winning are game will go a long way because they've really struggled against Notre Dame, like, which was not the case for a long time. But, um, yeah, I, I think the Slovis situation, the quarterback situation, changes the things a bit. But ultimately, when there's a new AD in town, they want to hire someone themselves. Um, they want to put their mark on the program, and unless Helton looks like he's completely turned it around and he's like the guy, which has not been the case at this point, uh, even with a couple like you know, a couple of really good seasons to start, um, he's really going to be walking on, egg- on eggshells no matter what. So, um, yeah, just 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 get everyone nice and concerned throughout the rest of the season. I, I hope we, I really hope our fan base settles into a lovely mix of really angry because the season wasn't, you know, we're not going to the Orange Bowl in all likelihood, but also very concerned Dino's leaving, even though you don't think Dino's doing a good job all of a sudden. <laughs> like, so that's, that's really, I think that's the, the perfect place for our fan base. Yeah, where Dino, why is Tommy DeVito not winning the Heisman? Why does he look mediocre through two weeks, but also you can never leave?
0: Yeah, we're, we're definitely a weird group. Um, I don't want to believe in this conversation anymore because there's probably going to be plenty more discussion of it. Um, going forward uh looking specifically at clemson dan um you know like we kind of discussed earlier like they did enough to win here they're kind of getting like that alabama territory of like yeah sure whatever like we'll just catch you around for a while we'll do what we need to do like maybe it was 0-0 after a quarter but then they went up 17-3 to and then never really had to look back like a and M isn't necessarily like they're, they're recruiting pretty well still uh, have been for a while like they're not necessarily that that far away from Clemson in terms of talent like Clemson's only recently turned the corner into like that top five ish um, top five to seven um, like recruiting territory but really it's just, it's the coaching the coaching's been the difference um, this whole time and like uh, you know Dabo's done a really nice job obviously like he'll get flummoxed once a year. Um, that's been Pitt. that's been like Syracuse at times. And last year it was twice because uh, otherwise like Clemson didn't really get flummoxed. Clemson actually outcoached Nick Saban by a considerable amount um, and has um, quite a few times of late. So like Clemson will almost always have the coaching advantage. Um, and then the talent is only recently like, again, elevated from a top 20 ish level to what we've seen um, come into the program um, recently. but. Like, realistically, it's going to take a hell of a lot of, like, things to go right for Syracuse and wrong for Clemson for this, for this to happen, even more so than two years ago, where, yes, there was a quarterback injury, but, it, like, it was so much more than that. Like, excuse me, Dabo was, was flummoxed, again, like, for almost the entirety of the game. He still needed special teams disaster. He still needed injury. He still needed so many things to to go wrong. And like last year, like, you know, it it was a host of things. I think this time around, like, there's just, I just just don't see it. Like, I I just don't see it happening. I think especially, like, you could have talked me into a really, really, really close game and maybe even Syracuse win um, after week one, not because I thought the Liberty win was overly inspiring, but because the defense played so well. In week two, uh, given how against a quarterback who is not Trevor Lawrence, um, given how the play action worked, given how the run game worked so well, given how they did that, again, without Trevor Lawrence, without Travis Etienne, um, without uh, receivers like T. Higgins and Justin Ross, uh, y- you'd really have to, to just show me a hell of a lot of, of improvement in one week um, to get me from... Wow, Syracuse got the doors blown off against Maryland too. Oh yeah, Syracuse won by any more than a like uh act of God in, in week three.
1: Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to talk yourself into with how we looked last week. Even if you had even if we had looked like if we had lost like a a one store game to Maryland and it was just a tough, tough outing and the fact that we were on the road bothered us and whatever else, you could probably say, you know, that happens. Um but we play Clemson tough, et cetera, et cetera. Um, The fact that it was such a drubbing really makes it hard to think that a similar thing won't happen because you're not even going to have a Clemson that's going to look past you because Clemson knows it can't do that. Uh, They lost last time they were in our building. They, you could argue, should have lost last season. Um, They like it's Trevor Lawrence knows he didn't play well in Syracuse in his first ever start. Like I can't imagine that Dabo and company won't have this team up for this game, even after the Maryland one, because they've seen it on the field and they saw, you know, a very overmatched on paper Syracuse team beat them just two years ago and take them to the wire last season. So um I think this is going to be the hardest, uh the hardest spot I think in these Clemson games in recent memory.
0: I would absolutely agree. Like, There's, they're just, it's not that the talent gap is larger this year, but there's, there, there, there's no dungy factor. Um, The defensive front showed again last week, just especially if they don't have McKinley Williams again, just how, how much they can get manhandled by a P5 offensive line. And if you get manhandled by Maryland's offensive line, you can absolutely get manhandled by, by Clemson's uh again the 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 dungy factor has been so big for the last couple years um yes things were kind of looking bad um a few years ago when we lost by a ton and um dungy got injured but he got injured at the end of the first quarter things were already kind of rolling downhill it just wasn't in the cards that day um uh, unless devito turned into a very that turns into a very different quarterback, but shows that he can be a very different quarterback against B five competition and shows that he can run this offense um, at a tempo. That's going to keep uh, Clemson off balance. It's, it's, it's probably not going to happen. And this isn't to say that like this, I mean, this, this podcast is, is rarely woeful. Uh, I think that we're, we're optimistic where needed. I think we're realistic. where also called for, but, the, again, the 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 list of factors that could turn this into a, a, a very unlikely Syracuse win are just they're too much for me. It doesn't mean we won't cover. It doesn't mean that this couldn't end up being you know a seventeen point loss um, if everything goes right for Syracuse. I think that you know uh, all all of the newly anointed Syracuse football fans who who were you know very in before week one barely in after week one, and then 100% out after week two, and there are a lot of you, and probably none of you are listening to this podcast. Um, sorry. like You're not going to like hearing that. At the same time, a 1-2 Syracuse team is very likely a 3-2 and two Syracuse team um, going into the bye week before an NC State pit stretch that probably defines the season. And if you win both of those games, you're still 5-2. Cool. Uh, everything, pretty much everything that going into the season that we thought was on the table, still is. In that case, If you go one and one, four and three, and there's a little bit more demanded of you. But I'd say, I, I'd say that there, there's still a lot there for seven and five or eight and four season could happen. Might not, could happen though, um, especially on the seven and five front. I think everything's still in play there
1: yeah and even even with both of us saying like heading into the year that we you know we said nine and three maybe being like a, a bit optimistic and going into the season based on what we knew I thought that was you know I still think that was a reasonable thing to say um we both acknowledge like there's a chance this is six and six or seven and five like we we did lose a lot we lost our starting quarterback we lost a lot of uh off of line talent like there were question marks unfortunately so far um those question marks have not really been answered. That doesn't mean they won't be answered throughout the year. We saw that last year of like stark improvement from certain aspects of the team. Uh, there's a chance that we just had a really bad day on Saturday, and we won't have bad days like that again. Um, I still trust the coaching staff, but also like if it's seven and five, even if it it's six and six, like we haven't made two bowl- two bowls in a row since uh, twelve
0: the- thirteen. But I even then, it was such a it was such a by the skin of our teeth moment, and we still looked very outclass the entire season
1: right right so it's not like been a a super like even if you even if you're disappointed by a a four a three or four game slip year over year um if that's coming with like growth on the team and knowing that Devito will be back next year and knowing that most of offensive weapons will be back next year um i think you still need to look at the bigger picture and like look at like what a, a three or four year period looks like for syracuse versus like oh my god they didn't improve on the or on the the uh, Camping World Bowl year. Like, yeah, that's unrealistic for a lot of te- – like, almost there are very few teams that can, if any, can, like, guarantee that they're going to do better every single year. This is not how the sport works. There's way too much turnover. Um, so I think, you ha- I think we all have to, like, kind of stay level-headed. I know the expectations were sky high starting the year, at least by Syracuse standards, but that doesn't mean that, like, not reaching them is a failure, uh, considering where we're coming from, you know, just a couple years ago where we – you know, one back-to-back four. We had, what, four straight bowl seasons at the end of Schaefer's start of Babers, so...
0: Yeah, 14, so, 15, uh, 16, 17, we're all bowlless.
1: If, uh, like, if we were only going, you know, only going 10-3 and three and <laughs> then 7-5, like, I think overall that two-year stretch is the best two-year stretch we've had in uh, a generation of fans, like, before yeah. I was a fan. So let's all try to, and, like, ourselves included, like, everyone, I think just we need to take a step back we need to probably not worry too much about what this Clemson team looks like. If, if it's good, great. If it's bad, like, let's let's understand what Clemson is. They are at a very, very different place. Uh, and they're going to be super motivated on Saturday to beat us, to make our look bad. And they know that they're going to know it's homecoming. They're going to know all this stuff. So I'm going to try to not get too worked up. Because even if even if we had won last week, we could have very easily just lost by, like, 50 to Clemson. And it might none of that might have been any different.
0: I mean, we thought Maryland could be a measuring stick, but realistically, like, knowing what we knew after week one, I think, and, and, and now, like, I don't think much changes. Like, the, the measuring stick for the season is going to be that stretch um, that I just mentioned. It's the NC State game. I understand it's a Thursday night on the road, and that's just a tough environment to play in at night. Um, it's going to be the NC State game, and it's going to be the pick game. And if we go 0-2 in there, uh, we know that we're going to be in a rough spot. Uh, if we go one and one there, I think we know that it's probably gonna be a seven and five at best season, and that's fine, uh, to be honest. Even given the preseason expectations, that might have been a little bit above where we were uh where we could have been. Um if we go two and oh, yeah, sky's still the limit. So I, I think that might aggravate a lot of fans, but yeah, you're not gonna know what this team is until mid-October, uh mid to late October, really. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah. There are worse things in the world than like we had a senior laden. Uh, Experienced team everything came together, and then there was a slight setback. But with younger guys, but there were still signs of improvement by the end of the year, and they went seven and five and went to a decent bowl, went to the Pinstripe Bowl probably. And then the next year, oh, everyone's back again. Maybe we can start to create that 2018 magic again. Maybe even take another another step because guys have like went through their own lumps because we, you know, a lot of our guys haven't had that yet. Like a lot of our our freshmen stepped into a great situation last year and they were great and were a huge part of it, but like haven't had the adversity that like the Dungy teams did. And I think our Dungy teams, like I think that probably not, not that anyone was rooting for four and eight years, but I think those frustrations probably drove them in a big way. And, and, you know, maybe our young guys need a bit of that. Like not, not to say that I'm like happy that they lost this game the way they did. I'm certainly not, but we, we can't just wake up and expect to be, uh, you know, a tall football power overnight. Cause we had one nice season. Um, even if like on paper it seemed like that might be where we we're heading, so it, it's it's not all linear, um, and it doesn't mean that like we can't reach our goals as a program long term. Like you, you're still possibly, very possibly, it's taking a step forward overall from where we've been.
0: Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, we don't really have to go into an analysis of the game. I think we could just say score quick. I think we both know where we're headed here, um, and then wrap it up. So I'm gonna go. Uh, <laughs> I'm. Good. I guess give me. I'm gonna say. Forty-five twenty-four, and it's just because Dado doesn't feel like messing around.
1: I, I I thought you were gonna steal my store. I was. I'm doing forty-five seventeen.
0: I I could see that too. I think we see a little bit more from the offense. I see. I think we see a little bit. We don't see improvement from the. I think we see improvement from the rest of the defense, but not the linebackers. And then again, Dabo doesn't feel like embarrassing us.
1: <laughs> There's a very good chance the defense plays better, and we don't know. Because the offensive fire, like, Trevor Lawrence hasn't played a good game yet. And i have to dive too far in, because I know we have to wrap up. But Lawrence hasn't played a good game, like, this season yet by his own standards. And they're still killing people because the talent's, like, absurd. So, like, I'm not gonna... If we if we don't, lose like, give up 60 points, I'm not gonna be happy, but, like, I'm not going to be super concerned unless like whatever happens is otherworldly because this offense has that talent.
0: Um, all right, Dan, thanks as always.
1: Really bright way to <laughs> end it. <laughs> bright theory. <laughs> um, thank you uh, yeah. uh, for having me as always. Hopefully yeah. next week next we're all surprised week. and gushing on on whatever day we record.
0: Yeah. I, uh, you know, it, it, it happens. There are always weeks like this. There will always be weeks like this for any fan base. Um, this is just our turn at the wheel. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, there's 12 games for a reason. Things can still turn out very right for Syracuse, even if they turn out very wrong again this weekend. Um, I, I choose to stay optimistic about this season until absolutely proven otherwise. Um, in any case, that's Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Train and Absolute the podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk. Well, sorry, not Blog Talk anymore. Uh, Megaphone in this case, um, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever, and go Orange. Orange.